Thanks, Sam and Charles for leading us. Well, good morning again. Um, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors. If you weren't here at the beginning when I stood up, I'm glad you're here uh, with us this 9 a.m. service uh, as we launch into the new year. This is, as Timothy said earlier, fall kickoff Sunday, uh, the Sunday where we celebrate uh, kicking off uh, the ministry year together. Uh, and again, if you weren't here at the beginning, let me remind you to, or encourage you, uh, remind you if you were here, encourage you if you were not, to go downstairs after the service, uh, a ministry fair, all the tables, uh, free food, free t-shirts. Uh, you'll get to just learn a lot about our church. So please go down immediately after the service uh, and celebrate uh, the new year with us. In conjunction with the new ministry year, uh, we're beginning a new sermon series this morning titled Signpost, Hope in a Broken World. We're going to be looking at various passages in the Gospel of John for the next six weeks. You know, signposts are extremely helpful. If you've ever gotten lost while driving, it's the worst, right? It's literally awful. And I know these days we have GPS and phones, smartphones that help us navigate, but we can still get in areas where cell phone coverage drops uh, or GPS stops working, and all of a sudden you have no idea where exactly you are. You have no idea where to go, and then you look down the road just up ahead, and there's a signpost. And you get excited because you know that that signpost might tell you the distance to the nearest town. Maybe that signpost will have arrows pointing you in the direction you need to travel. The signposts help you make sense of where you are and which direction you need to go. Well, this fall is maybe the first fall in three years where it feels like we're able to find some kind of normalcy to the rhythms of our lives and, and to our church life where we don't have to live day to day, month to month, making constant adjustments. Right? We've lived through a pandemic, social unrest, economic turmoil, wars. Many of us have had personal experiences of deaths of loved ones. Relationships have been damaged. Spiritual, emotional, and mental unrest and unhealth. And it's caused us to be confused, frustrated, angry, depressed at times. And it has forced questions of meaning and purpose. And in some sense, we've all been disoriented and lost. Wondering, where am I and what direction should I be going? Well, this sermon series is intended to lift our eyes and hearts to see the signposts that God has given us that help us make sense of the broken world in which we live. Signposts that give us hope and direction for our lives. Anglican bishop and theologian N.T. Wright wrote a book in 2020 that we're basing this series off of. And so you're going to hear us preach on signposts of hope in a broken world, signposts of freedom, beauty, spirituality, justice, power. This morning, we're going to start by looking at the signpost of love in the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. Love really is the central story of John's Gospel. One scholar termed Jesus' years of ministry described in John's gospel as a time of love. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to give our attention to God's word in John 13, verses 1 to 5. This is God's word to us this morning. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we need to hear from you. And so Holy Spirit, would you fall fresh upon our spirit and would you fall fresh upon the word of God that is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we need you to pierce and tender and turn over the soil of our hearts so that the word of God would be planted deep and bear fruit in our lives and in our body. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, remove me, the preacher, so that Christ alone speaks. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. Well, five years ago, one of my spiritual mentors told me a story uh, about him and his son that uh, happened now close to 40 years ago. Uh, but five years ago when I heard this story, uh, it has forever kind of been a helpful image in my mind and my heart. My friend is now in his 70s, so at this time he would have been in his mid-30s. And he was on staff with the Ministry of Young Life. And during the summertime, he would uh, often be the director of one of these summer camps. And his wife and his children would come with him to camp while he was the director for the week. And every morning, he would rise early uh, to prepare and lead staff meetings. And every night, he would go to bed late with all the campers who were at, at camp. So needless to say, he did not get to see his kids in the morning, nor did he get to put his kids down for bed at night. Well, one Wednesday, he rose early to prepare and lead the staff meeting, and all the other staff showed up, and they were in the midst of their staff meeting when his three-year-old son slowly walked by the door, peeking into the room, trying to see his dad, wondering what was happening inside, and then kept on walking by. A few seconds passed, and his three-year-old son slowly walked by the door again, peeking in to see his dad and what was happening inside. And then it happened a third time. And this time, the dad stopped the meeting. And he waved his arms at his son, and he told him, come on in. And his son wasn't sure if he could or not. He hesitated, and the dad continued to wave his arms, saying, come on in, son. And then the three-year-old finally realized what was happening. And he lit up with joy. And with a huge smile, he started running toward his dad yelling, him wants me, him wants me. And he jumped up into his dad's lap and his dad hugged him and said, son, I love you. I love you. We all know deep in our bones that we need to be part of something larger than ourselves. Something that gives us a sense of warmth security, meaning, delight, even that deep sigh of relief when it's experienced. It's love. We were all made for love, to receive love and to give love. And in John's gospel, God is waving his arms and saying, come to me. 
Come to me. The central story of John's gospel is that God wants you. He wants you. He loves you, which means God wants to be in relationship with you because love always entails relationship. John 13 verses 1 to 5 have been referred by some scholars as the little prologue to chapters 13 to 21 of the book of John. That it's an introduction into what's about to unfold fully, which will be the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That this foot washing scene in John 13 points us to the ultimate act of self-giving, self-humiliating love on the cross through which Jesus makes a way for all of us to be embraced and loved by God completely. Love is mentioned six times in John chapters 1 through 12, but in John chapter 13 to 21, love is mentioned 31 times. John 13 to 21, it's all one movement of love ultimately expressed in Jesus' death and resurrection. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So start with me by looking at John 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love the last phrase of that verse. He loved them to the end. And in Greek, it's eistelos, which literally means to end which does not just denote time, as though Jesus only loved us to the end of his life, it most forcefully communicates the quality of his love. That Jesus loved us to the uttermost. That Jesus loved us perfectly to the uttermost. That there was nothing that love could do, that love did not do, that Jesus did not do. And in the midst of the disorientation that we all experience of living in a broken world, one clear signpost that God gives us is love. That God created us for love, to ultimately receive his love and to extend his love to the world. And so there are two things that I want to point out about love from our passage. Love is vulnerable and love is costly. Let's look first that love is vulnerable. Verse 2. It says, during the supper, when the devil already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Stop there. When the devil put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus is betrayed, not by some stranger out there, but by one of his closest friends. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. Judas was the treasurer who handled the money for the disciples, meaning he was greatly trusted by Jesus. You talk about painful. Someone in your closest inner circle betrays you. It's one thing for a person out there, but if someone you trust and love deeply betrays you, it's painful. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. 
impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Love is painful. Part of loving is the risk of rejection. Uh, Jesus, he, he left heaven. He took on flesh to love the world to the end. Jesus made himself vulnerable, loving, knowing that he would experience rejection and betrayal. John 1 verse 11 tells us that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. From Jesus' very birth, uh, from, from, his, from, from his very birth, Herod sought to kill Jesus. During Jesus' three years of ministry, many tried to plot and trap Jesus. He would often have to slip away. And so the religious leaders knew that if they were going to really get to Jesus, they needed inside information. They needed someone on the inner circle to betray him. So verse 2 tells us that evil moved in Judas's heart. Because evil is always moving against divine love. And Jesus is wounded. He's hurt by this betrayal. And when the soldiers come to take Jesus away and arrest him, Peter, the fighter, steps up, takes out a sword, cuts off the soldier's ear. And what does Jesus do? He heals and restores the soldier. If there was a time to fight, now would be it. But Jesus doesn't fight. Jesus loves. Because divine love absorbs the worst evil can do and defeats it through the love of the cross. I mean, Jesus is vulnerable. He's open to betrayal, rejection, mocking, ultimate crucifixion so that you and I could be brought into a loving relationship with God. The love that every single one of us longs for, the love deep in our bones we know we were created for is only found perfectly in God. Other loves that we give our hearts to are but a shadow of the great love of God in Christ. And in a broken world, these other loves will disappoint us and fail us. So Jesus invites us to come to experience his unfailing love. And as we experience the love of God, we then can love the wider world with the same love we received. This is our purpose. This is the direction of our lives, to receive love and to give love. But let me tell you that if you risk loving, get ready to be hurt. Get ready for rejection and betrayal and pain. Because you cannot control others. You can't control their responses or their actions. Love in a broken world where evil has not been fully extinguished guarantees we will be hurt if we risk to love. And so the question for all of us is what do you do with your hurt? Because I know all of us have experienced hurt in loving relationships. Could be by a spouse, a parent, a friend, an employer, a church. And I just want to say pastorally, I'm sorry. Pain and hurt inflict deep wounds on all of us. So what do you do with your hurt? You can either grow hard and pull away from people and put up your walls of self-protection. You can run to self-pity, self-righteousness, bitterness, anger, or hatred. Or you can allow the love of God to bring healing to your heart and compel you outward to continue loving with vulnerability. You can grow hard because of your pain, 
or the sufferings that you experience in this broken world can draw you into the perfect love of God in Christ and keep your heart tender and willing to risk. To love is to suffer. And I know that sounds like zero fun. <laughs> and maybe it's it feels impossible to do. And the only way that we can love like this is if we see ourselves as the betrayer. If we see ourselves as the denier, or the mocker, or the crucifier of Jesus. And then knowing that Jesus loves you to the end. Not because you are lovable. But he loves you to the end because you are the unlovable. And when you are the unlovable, and when you understand this, it will stir your heart to love those you deem unlovable. Frederick Buechner, a great author and theologian who just recently passed into glory at the age of 96, wrote in his work, The Magnificent Defeat, this quote I want to read to you. He says, the love for equals is a human thing. A friend for friend, brother for brother, it is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely, this is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice, the love of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man, the world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is love for the enemy, love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. Love is vulnerable. The second thing about love is that it's costly. John 13 verses 3 to 5 is, is the scene of Jesus disrobing and re-robing to wash the feet of the disciples. And it's a prelude to the cross and the resurrection where Jesus gives up his life and he takes up his life. It's Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus humbled himself in death to be exalted unto glory. For God to dwell with us, for God to be in relationship with us, God had to make us clean. God had to wash us. And Jesus washes us, he forgives us, he cleanses us through his death and resurrection. Through this love, we are drawn into relationship with God to experience this love over and over and over. And in order for Jesus to love us perfectly to the uttermost, he had to give himself up in death. There was a great exchange, his life for our life. And one of my all-time favorite Denzel Washington movies is Man on Fire from 2004. I know some of you freshmen in college were born in 2004, <laughs> and I'm now becoming that pastor who uses such old references, uh, old movies. If you haven't seen Man on Fire, you need to watch Man on Fire. Denzel plays John Creasy, the bodyguard for a little girl named Peta, played by Dakota Fanning. Peta and Creasy are, are very close, and Peta ends up getting kidnapped by the drug cartel, and Creasy becomes a man on fire, a man on mission to whoop some tail and rescue PETA. And the end of the movie is so powerful. The drug cartel has PETA on one side of the bridge and Creasy's on the other side. And in order to rescue PETA, Creasy must surrender his life. For her life, he must pay the price with his own life. And the movie ends by PETA running across the bridge into the arms of her family and Creasy walking across the bridge and getting into the car of the drug cartel knowing he's about to be executed. 
the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom. For God to love us, he must pay the price by exchanging the life of his only son for our very life. All of love is an exchange. Think about it. My wife, Rachel, asked me to do chores on a Saturday when I'm like, college football is happening, right? And she asked me to do chores when I'm ready to watch college football. If I'm going to love her, I need to give up my free time of watching football to give her free time so that she doesn't have to do the chores that I I can do. There's an exchange taking place. Think about being at a party or even here on a Sunday morning at church. And and maybe there are people that you know you're going to see that you love being around, that you love talking to, that you have fun being with, but you're there at the party or you're here on a Sunday morning and you see someone who's all alone. Somebody who's left out. Maybe someone who you feel like may be a little awkward to talk to. To love this person, you're going to have to sacrifice your fun time of connecting with people you think you would enjoy being with in order to love the person who's alone. There's an exchange. And the power to love like this comes from us understanding and experiencing that we've been loved with a costly exchange. Our passage says that it was before the feast of Passover. Passover was a festival when Israelites were to to take a lamb as a substitute for their firstborn son, cut the lamb's throat, shedding its blood for the forgiveness of sin. The temple at Passover would be flooded with lambs. It would be loud. And subsequently, blood would be spilled and shed all over the temple. It is not an accident that Jesus, the firstborn son of God, the only son of God, is referred to as the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's not an accident that Jesus died on the holiday of Passover. That on the cross, Jesus would cry out, Tetelestai, it is finished. Which is the same root in Greek as John 13, 1, Aistelos, to the end, Tetelestai, it is finished. Because the cross is, the perf- is perfect love to the uttermost, his life for our life. Reverend Paul Zoll tells the story about a duck hunter. Uh, and this duck hunter was with a friend in the wide open land in southeastern Georgia. Uh, and far away on, on the horizon, he noticed a cloud of smoke. And soon he could hear the crackling as the wind shifted. He realized the terrible truth that a brush fire was advancing. So fast, they could not outrun it. Rifling through his pockets, he soon found what he was looking for, a book of matches. He lit a small fire around the two of them. Soon they were standing in a circle of blackened earth waiting for the fire to come. And they didn't have to wait long. They covered their mouths with handkerchiefs, embraced themselves, and the fire came near and swept over them. But they were completely unhurt, untouched, Fire would not pass where fire already had passed. The wages of sin is death. It's a brush fire. I cannot escape it. But if I stand in the burned over place, not a hair of my head will be singed. Christ's death has paid for all my sins. Brothers and sisters, stand in the burned over place. The foot of the cross. It is the place of love. For in Christ we are loved to the end. 
And as we receive the love of God, may we love the wider world. And it will be vulnerable and it'll be costly, but it is the signpost of hope in the midst of a broken world. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to rest and to receive and to rejoice in your love that abounds to us. Transform us that we might love the world in which you've placed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.